This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Public Relations and Advertising Manager in the Journals Division. A team at Oregon State University took over the editorial duties for the journal Feminist Formations in 2016. Editor Patty Duncan took some time to talk to us about the journal and the innovative work in women's, gender, and sexuality studies published in its pages when she visited Baltimore for the recent National Women's Studies Association Conference. Thank you for joining me today, Patty. So tell me, how is the transition to the new editorial team going? It's been about, I guess, nine months now? It's been over a year. It's been over a year. Yeah. Wow. But, so yeah. for, for after a year, how's the transition going? It's been going well. The transition has been smooth, but we have certainly had a learning curve, just getting to know the behind-the-scenes work of editing a journal. Feminist Formations, as you know, is published three times a year, so we're always working on multiple stages at once. Yeah like final page proofs for the issue that's about to be released, content edits for the, those manuscripts that have been accepted for publication in future issues, identifying reviewers for newly submitted manuscripts, all at the same time that we're trying to promote and publicize the journal, and new calls for papers and everything else that goes into the editing process. But I'm really fortunate to have institutional support at Oregon State University and three wonderful doctoral students working with me on the journal, Rebecca Lambert, our managing editor, and two editorial assistants, Andres Lopez and L.K. May. In addition, I feel really fortunate to draw on the support and the brilliance of the members of our editorial board, which includes some truly phenomenal feminist scholars, artists, activists, who are helping us imagine the future of feminist right. formations. I remember when it was in when Arizona, the previous mm-hmm. editorial team, we met with the editorial board, and it's because of the transition of the journal from the NWSA journal to Feminist Formations, it really seems like a family of people who yeah. want this journal to succeed. And so there's a lot of hands doing the work. Yeah, there's a lot of shared commitment and passion for this journal. Mm-hmm, that's great. The, being a journal, being an academic journal, and it being sometimes a slow process, things are changing in the world, especially in, in a lot of the things that you guys focus on. What's the challenge for three times a year journal to respond quickly to these things Mm -hmm. when just the process you're dealing with is not kind of friendly to quick changes? It's definitely a challenge to respond quickly and address the changing state of affairs Mm -hmm. um, when so many things are happening so rapidly. And of course, this first year has coincided with the year since the election. So in terms of, you know, thinking about the time, there's a lag between For example, when a manuscript gets submitted and when it actually gets published because of that whole review process, the formatting process. But I feel really strongly that many of the manuscripts or most of the manuscripts and the poetry we publish are really timely. They connect us to what's going on around us. They remain timely even throughout this process. But knowing that we also wanted a venue for immediate responses, we've also been making more use of our website, blog, social media like Facebook. Instagram and Twitter. Right after the election last year, we featured several pieces online 
as part of what we called a critical feminist response, where feminist scholars and activists responded to the election, offering our readers reflections and frameworks for thinking about how to move forward. I've also tried to address some of the things happening in the world around us in the editorial introductions. Right, right, yeah, and that was, I saw that a lot of our journals have done that, where Mm -hmm. uh, either these summer or fall issues, because Mm -hmm. that's about what you were working on six months ago, when things were really changing, a lot of the introductions Mm -hmm. really started to have a chance to address the election and the changes going on. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, you know, even over this past year, like, the process of writing the editorial introductions has been a painful process, right? (laughs) Because in the time since publishing 29.1 and 29.2, so many tragedies occurred, so many forms of state violence rooted in systems of power and oppression, and I remember, you know, and, and I think I wrote, I want to write something hopeful and healing, but right. these have been such difficult days. But then I realized that there's actually a lot of hope, I I believe, embodied in the writings that we're publishing right. and in the art on our covers as well as the poetry we feature. Right. I mean, talking about that art and the poetry, it's mm-hmm. such a unique feature mm-hmm. of feminist formations and it's really given the journal such a personality. How important is having that mm-hmm. as an extra mean of, means of expression other than just the scholarly work? Yeah, the cover art and the poesia section are critical to feminist formations. Following the great example set by the previous editorial team, we've made a point of selecting beautiful, vibrant, colorful cover art by feminist artists engaged in themes that correspond to the ideas and questions that the authors are grappling with in in the journal. And I have sought out poets to feature in our poesia section who bring together poetry with scholarly writing, really pushing the boundaries of what counts as feminist scholarship and knowledge production. Um, Our most recent issue featured poetry by Alexis Pauline Gums, self-proclaimed queer black troublemaker, uh, black feminist love evangelist, and prayer poet priestess. Her work is amazing. Her new book, Spill, Scenes of Black Feminist Fugitivity, engaging the work of Hortense Spillers, really gets us to rethink what we mean by feminist literary studies, historiography. So highlighting her work was really important to me and to our editorial team and board. Um, Our winter issue is going to feature poesia by Minal Hadratwala. She's the author of the book Leaving India, which won a Lambda Literary Award. And she's also the co-founder of the Great Indian Poetry Collective. So her work is also phenomenal work that's pushing the boundaries of both poetry and scholarly writing. And then, of course, in 30.1, our special issue, Queer Crypt Contagions, we are going to be featuring the poetry of Quoley Driscoll, a Cherokee two-spirit queer scholar and activist who recently wrote a book called Asegi Stories on Cherokee queer and two-spirit memory which again, I think, brings together multiple forms of writing mm-hmm. and including personal narrative, prose, poetry, scholarly writing, academic writing. And so I'm really excited to continue to center this kind of work of both established and emerging feminist artists, activists who are 
I think pushing our field in exciting new ways. I got to meet Alexis and Quo Lee both here and yeah. just both so fascinating. I love the description of Alexis because <laughs> she's just a wonderful person. Just the yeah. five minutes I spent with her. Yeah. she did, I, I love hearing that description because she just has a great energy and Quo Lee's poetry was just, it was fantastic. Yeah. The two works they read, one was very staccato single words and the other was almost like a short story and yeah. to hear that kind of the mixes that both of them brought I think is wonderful yeah. for a journal to have yeah. it's a little different yeah and I'm so excited by both of them mm. and the work that they do so yeah we're thrilled to be featuring their work now those two things the uh, cover art and poesy mm -hmm. were kind of the hallmark of Sandy Soto and her team in Arizona that's mm -hmm. what things do you have planned for the future to put your stamp mm -hmm. on the future of feminist formations mm -hmm. so I definitely want to continue things that the previous editorial team like the the cover art and the poetry brought to feminist formations mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm also thinking a lot about is increasing our social media presence. And I think this is part of engaging current issues in a timely fashion. So our editorial team is working on updating the blog and creating some features um, on social media particularly to celebrate our 30-year anniversary right, right. Um, of feminist formations. We are also um, imagining connecting more to NWSA. So next year, when NWSA will be held in Atlanta with the theme, Just Imagine, Imagining Justice, we are excited to try to collaborate in some ways, perhaps with a couple of sponsored panels or sessions as well as an event to mark the 30-year anniversary. Right. Um, other ideas that we have talked about are really drawing on the strength of members of our editorial board more to imagine future engagements, such as perhaps a, an event on our campus, mm -hmm. Oregon State University, as well as perhaps some sort of short but multi-day symposium or learning retreat. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, for scholars to come together and really think through the big ideas mm -hmm. that we engage with in feminist right, formations. Right. And you, you brought up NWSA. That's mm -hmm. what we're actually here face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. I usually do these over the phone. It's great to actually do one in person, and we're doing this because NWSA mm -hmm. is meeting in Baltimore right now. Um, mm -hmm. How exciting is it to share the journal with people and to meet new people and maybe recruit new authors mm -hmm. or new editorial board members or mm -hmm. bring those old connections. How great is that opportunity? It's so great. It's so exciting. NWSA is always exciting, but this year, the 40-year anniversary of the Kumbahi River Collective Statement is particularly powerful. The keynote by Angela Davis and Alicia Garza was truly phenomenal. And the plenary yesterday with members of the Kumbahi River Collective was a beautiful tribute to the work that has inspired so much of the, the writing that we all do now in feminist scholarship and the ways that we think and, and um, the ways that intersectionality is framed and has become so central to the field of women's gender and sexuality studies. And NWSA president, Barbara Ransby, she's an amazing thinker who centered the process of freedom making in the conference theme this year and, and the movement for Black Lives Matter and black feminist activism, which is really, I think we're in a cool moment where remembering histories like the work of the Kumbahi River Collective reminds us that this process of freedom making is urgent 
and that this work represents not only resistance but revolution, right? And, and feminist formations has a role to play in that process, whether that's documenting, you know, like an archive of the work that has been done, or pointing to new directions that scholars and activists and artists can take in the future. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm really glad we got a chance to sit down. We're excited for the Journal Now and this 30th anniversary and then going forward. So thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu journals for more information.